0: In a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. So glad that you could join me today. If you just got in your car, I hope you had a good day. I'm so glad to go back to my series on the words of Jesus. So we're always focusing on words that Jesus said. So if you have a red letter Bible, you'll find them easily. And our guest today is Dr. Eric Taunas. He's the professor and chair of theology at Biola University and also a pastor one of my very favorite guests. I think the first five times I had him on, I mispronounced his last name, so I just went to a default of T-Dog. Uh, it seemed like the easy thing to do, but I do know how to pronounce his name correctly now. So, Eric, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Bill. Great to be with you again.
0: Yeah. So, as we look at the words of Jesus, we're going to study today a Matthew chapter 16, and I, I am so looking forward to this, and I'm, I'm ready to have you take us through this amazing passage.
1: Well, thanks. I, I think this is an incredibly important, important passage. Obviously, Jesus is the source of our lives and our salvation. And so knowing who he is is incredibly important. And that's what this passage really bears down on from the words of Jesus himself. He's very concerned his disciples understand who he is. We, I, you know, I hear a lot about among Christians finding our identity in Christ. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think we rush past Christ. To find our identity in Christ. And it ends up being a self-focused endeavor. And we don't sufficiently understand who Jesus is before we get on trying to find out who we are in him. And so Jesus is trying to make sure that that is not going to happen for his disciples and for those of us who follow in his and their teaching. I feel like I've already gotten my money's worth. If that's the only (laughs) thing you said,
0: I am happy for the whole hour because I think that is absolutely brilliant. Because people are racing to figure out their own identity, and they're and they're going past Jesus because they're maybe more interested in seeing what they can have for themselves, missing the person of Jesus. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah. In some ways, that's the human problem, isn't no, it? No, self focus. a, yeah. a, a self absorption. It's all about me, which is why all the effort needs to go in the opposite direction. You don't need to teach a child to be selfish. They boot up that way, and yep. we all did. And so, so the effort is to get my eyes off of myself. And on Christ, I think it was Spurgeon who said, for every one look at myself, take 10 looks at Jesus. And we reverse that usually, Mm -hmm. get pretty self-focused and glance at Jesus rather than focusing on him as our primary object of our gaze.
0: So good. I really like that point. All right, let's jump into Matthew 16. Pharisees and Sadducees come together. Normally they didn't like each other, but now they're joining forces to test Jesus.
1: Yeah, it's amazing if you can find common ground among the Pharisees <laughs> and the Sadducees. They were mm-hmm. friends, but they have a common objection, and that's to this guy, Jesus, who's getting all this attention. And they're concerned about the power structure that they're benefiting from and the influence they have in society. And this Messiah is not helpful to what their societal structure is all about. And so they join forces and oppose him. And uh, really do everything they can to, que- to to squelch this ministry that's starting off here. So mm-hmm. uh, he he warns his disciples about the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He includes them both together, and he wants them to know that opposition to the Messiah, opposition to God's saving person, that is Himself, is something that insidiously grows. And we need to be aware of it and combat it when we recognize it's there.
0: Mm-hmm. Jesus saw that what they were doing, that he was a threat to their leadership. I mean, power, corruption, boy, that's never changed throughout all of history, has it?
1: Yeah, uh, it's amazing. You know, I, I do want to recognize that it, there is truth that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, as <laughs> it's famously said, mm-hmm. but... Even though power is something that is potentially deeply problematic in human hands, I think it's important to have a very positive view of power too, because God is all powerful and he gives us the power of the spirit. And so power doesn't have to be a bad thing, influence, authority. Aren't bad things necessarily, but often in human hands, they go awry because of self interest, selfish, selfish interest, and, and uh, seeking unjust gain and, and things for ourselves rather than using our power, using our influence, using our authority for good and for the glory of God. That's where things go awry when it becomes about my little empire I want to build.
0: Mm-hmm. Dr. Eric Tonis is my guest. We're talking about Matthew 16 in our Red Word series. So, Eric, we don't go very far into the 16th chapter of Matthew, where we see that Jesus is giving a little lesson in meteorology.
1: <laughs> yeah, he, he's concerned that we understand the signs of the times. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when you live in an agrarian society, as they did, and when you live on the water, as many of them did, it's really important to be able to read the weather, especially when you, you don't have the technology we have today. So he just said, you know, you can become a master of reading the weather and be clueless about what's going on in the world around you in spiritual matters. Mm-hmm. And so he he wants us to be perceptive and wise and shrewd and insightful about what's happening according to God's word and the prophetic word. In light of what's going on in contemporary culture, that we need to be able to read really well,
0: mm-hmm. and Jesus sees right through the whole ruse that the Sadducees and Pharisees are coming at him with. Um.
1: Yeah, it, it, you know Jesus is just brilliant. I, I not only love Jesus and worship Jesus, I have so much respect for him as a just a brilliant man who who understands human nature he understands people he's interacting with and i think the spirit at work in his life in the way it was in his human life is enabling that to happen and he he reads people i mean people who try to get the best of jesus whether it's intellectually spiritually morally ethically uh, according to the scriptures they often have no idea what they've gotten themselves into. Mm -hmm. And and it's so often the Bible will say, and knowing what they were up to and knowing their motives and and understanding what they were trying to do, Jesus asks them and he's this brilliant question asker that ends up cornering them very often with answers they don't have. And so, yeah, he, he really is, is an incredible uh, perceiver of human attitudes, emotions. And, you know, I've told I think we had an episode where we talked about my book that i'm I'm actually finishing this semester on 20 things a Christian should probably stop saying. And i'm I'm actually debating whether or not one of the chapters should be never question someone's motives. It's amazing how that's become a truism, but I don't find that in the Bible. And I think it's really important, not that you can always figure that out, but I think it's important to try to discern one, what my motives are, but also what someone else's may be in questions they're asking or things they're doing. And so motives are very important. And so we don't want to be judgmental in questioning motives, but I do think there's a place for saying, what are you up to? What are you after here? Why are you asking me these questions?
0: Mm -hmm. So in Matthew 16, verse 4, it says, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. So the sign of Jonah was God's sign to the people of Nineveh. And I suppose the resurrection of Jesus from the dead will be the sign of judgment for those who refuse to repent.
1: Right. And that resurrection becomes the source of our forgiveness Mm -hmm. when we repent. And so that's why, if you read the book of Acts, I mean, it's amazing. Now, the love of God obviously is a massive theme in the New Testament, but in the preaching of the establishment of the church in the book of Acts, do you know the word love doesn't appear once in the entire book of Acts? So God's love certainly motivates sending his son. Now, 1 John makes up for that all by itself. So I'm (laughs) not saying love isn't important, but if you read what's emphasized in the in the gospel preaching in the establishment of the church in the book of acts it's the resurrection it's that jesus has conquered sin he's conquered death he has the authority he has the power he lives forever to rule and reign and mediate and so that resurrection becomes the central point of the preaching of the apostles here and and so that, again that's what jesus is pointing to that that the resurrection that that Jonah's salvation is a foreshadowing and an image of that's fulfilled in Jesus is what it's all about. And like the Ninevites, even those wicked people are able to find forgiveness in God's saving provision that he offers ultimately through the Messiah. Mm-hmm. I love the way that ends. So he left them and departed.
0: There's no guess- <laughs> there's no there's no
1: guessing what happened there. That's right. Mm-hmm. Jesus doesn't play around, man. He He is not catering to the masses whims. And latest opinion polls, Jesus is on a mission. Yeah, and if something doesn't fit clearly within that mission, he's not. He's not interested. It's yeah. just amazing. Even when the crowds follow after him, he'll often say things to diffuse that and and put things in perspective and lose people in the process. He, he's not. After uh, opinion polls and popularity contests, he's after the truth and fulfilling his mission. Now, I love that about him.
0: I mean, have you ever tried to leave a dinner party where it takes you an hour and 10 minutes to leave? (laughs) (laughs) All right. You know, my
1: grandfather. (laughs) My grandfather used to just get up in the middle of a dinner party and just go to bed and everybody wondered where he was. Jesus was a little like that.
0: <laughs> I love your grandfather. You know, it just, <laughs> that's hysterical. All right, Eric, let me take a little break. Uh, Dr. Eric Tonis is my guest. We're continuing our discussion in our Red Word series. So the words of Jesus. We're in Matthew chapter 16. So if you have a Bible, open it. And if you have a notebook, get it out. If you have a pen, and if it's got ink, you're off to a good start. We'll be right back with Dr. Eric Tonis in just a minute. If you'd like to know more, about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. I'm back with Eric Tanas. He's got a very cool business card. Well, if he had one, it would be cool because there'd be a lot of cool things on it. All the way from professor and chair of theology at Biola University to former underwater welder. You've had a cool life, Eric.
1: Yeah, yeah, I've I've had a lot of fun opportunities. Yeah. So,
0: all right, let's dive back into Matthew 16. Let's get to the point where, um, in verse 5, the disciples reached the other side. They had forgotten to bring any bread. Don't you hate when you do that? Yeah, for sure. I never go anywhere without car food. (laughs) I always have car food, snacks.
1: So, snacks yeah. are
0: good. Yeah, snacks are good. But what lesson do we learn from this? What Jesus said to them when he said, "Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees." They were. He was just confronted by them.
1: Yeah, it seems like one of the primary qualifications of being a disciple is having little faith. He <laughs> he often <laughs> he often will. Gently rebuke his disciples by saying what he says in this passage. Oh, you of little faith! He he just challenges them. They've just seen him feed five, four thousand people miraculously, and now they're worried about their daily bread. Mm-hmm. They're worried about being taken care of. We brought no bread, and they're concerned about that. And so he just he says, "Why, are you, why are you discussing among yourselves?" That you have no bread. I love how Jesus asks questions to draw understanding out of people. He doesn't just blast away and just preach sermons all the time. He he interacts with them. He he challenges them with really good questions to make them think about what they're doing and saying. And and he just says, you know, don't you perceive? Don't you remember the the five loaves? for the five thousand and how many baskets you gathered, they had all that left over yeah. seven so, and seven loaves for the four thousand. So twice now he's miraculously fed thousands of people, a football stadium full of mm-hmm. people two times. Mm-hmm. And and they're wondering about whether or not they're gonna have enough bread for their journey for today. And so he's just again trying to get them to apply the things they're saying to who he is and to their ability to rest in God's care for them through him in the daily things.
0: I was just talking yesterday with my guest, and it's, it seems that Jesus is always so loving and, and compassionate when he's talking to people. But when it gets to his 12, he's a little tough with them. But I go, yeah, they're on the team now. And he's mentoring them and teaching them and training them. And he is hard on him. I mean, he comes out with, oh, you have a little faith.
1: Yeah, he he speaks very directly to his disciples. He speaks very directly to religious leaders as mm, well. Yeah. It, it almost seems like knowledge that you've had should give you a perspective and if you lack that perspective then Jesus really goes after that. Uh, he seems to really he he has this amazing ability to recognize what you should expect given someone's background. And now that they've spent time with him like this, he he's starting to really challenge them to look at what they've seen and heard and lived and live accordingly and apply those things to their lives. It's not that he's getting impatient with them, but he's, he's upping the ante in the expectations he has for them. Mm-hmm. Eric, what are we supposed to learn about the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Yeah. Leaven's an interesting thing. Yeast, yeast has this magical quality that I don't know if you've ever made a loaf of bread. I have made a loaf of bread and forgot to add the yeast. It it does not work well at all. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a living thing. It's a living thing. It's, it's, it seems so insignificant in this jar in your refrigerator. You keep it in the fridge to keep it alive. It's, it's a wild thing. And, and so it, it causes bread to rise. It has an imperceptible effect as an ingredient, but then it it causes everything else to happen. And so he just wants us to be aware of leaders who have a, a toxic effect on our understanding of the truth and God's purposes in our lives with false teaching, with selfish interest and in those sorts of things as well. Eric Tannis is my guest. We're
0: in Matthew chapter 16, if you just joined us. So... We move on, Eric, and we get to chapter, um, I mean, verse 13, and Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi and asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? There's the the gazillion-dollar question.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so the significance of Caesarea Philippi shouldn't be lost here. This is... Uh, it's just 25, 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. It was a center of worship. It was a major convergence point for travelers and business professionals. And it was a place of major worship. When you have all these people coming who worship these local deities to a particular place, you want to offer opportunities for them to worship their local deities there. There was a amazingly excavated now temple to Pan there right in the heart of the city where you could go ask Pan for for business success or traveling mercies. and and, And Baal was worshiped there. Caesar was worshiped there. So it was a major gathering place with lots of religious pluralism. No doubt as Jesus asked this question, right in the vision of what they could see, people were worshiping all these different gods. And Jesus lays down the question, who do people say the son of man is? Referring back to Daniel chapter seven, the son of man who comes in the cloud with power, of an everlasting kingdom who's worshiped by the nations, this messianic figure who brings salvation and brings the kingdom. He says, who do you say the son of man is? And they say, well, some say John the Baptist, Others Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets, lots of opinions about the son of man. And then Jesus, one, identifies himself with that son of man and says, well, who do you say that I am? And this becomes the question of Jesus' ministry. And this is what Everything hinges upon, if you don't know who he is, his teaching isn't what it's supposed to be, his saving acts aren't what they're supposed to be, his miracles end up meaning something different, but getting the answer to this question, who do you say Jesus is, is the most important question of all of life, and this is where Jesus asked it of his disciples.
0: Mm -hmm. In verse 16, Eric, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Talk about the difference in names here.
1: Yeah, so um, good old Peter. I mean, we give Peter a hard time for sinking Mm -hmm. because he took his eyes off of Jesus in the boat, forgetting the rest of the disciples are in the boat, and at least Peter got out of the water. And he runs his mouth sometime. I can definitely relate to him. And, you know, at the Mount of Transfiguration, he blurts something out. And then it says, he said this because he didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> I mean, so Peter. Welcome to my Peter, world. Yeah, but he steps up. Exactly. <laughs> he steps up to the plate and he swings a bat and he knocks it out of the park this time. And he gets it right. He says, you are the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. Uh, Christos is the New Testament equivalent of Mashiach. This, this anointed one is what that name means. And he's the son of the living God. He's none other than the the eternal divine son. And, and Peter has realized that his friend that he got to go fishing with and, and hike along the shores of Galilee with is none other than the divine son of God, who is the Messiah. Peter has come to this realization and this changes everything.
0: It's it's amazing. It just, um, he goes on, goes on to say for, flesh and blood has not been, has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven.
1: Yeah, I love this. So he calls him Simon Bar-Jonah. I I think probably calling him son of Jonah is is, uh, just trying to humble him, reminding him of his humanity here. And he calls him that, but then he doesn't say, well, no, I'm whoever you think I am, or everybody has a different opinion. You live your truth. You speak your truth. But Peter gets it right. He says, you are the one we need. You're the anointed one. You're the one who brings the kingdom and brings salvation. And and Jesus doesn't say, hey, way to go, Peter. You're a really sharp guy. Or boy, you're such an insightful theologian. He says, God's revealed this to you. This is something that the Spirit of God has revealed to you from heaven, and you got it right because of that. So don't get arrogant in your knowledge. Realize that this knowledge is dependent on God Himself. And it's just a beautiful example of Jesus seeing his life and his person as what we need to understand to make everything else make sense.
0: And mm-hmm. I'm thinking of the, the the moment that the Father revealed this to uh Simon Peter I would imagine it was in that precise moment. But
1: yeah, it we, seems we, like we, we don't know. Yeah, it seems like this things are coalescing for the disciples here. And and I think it's so important to realize that this is the question of Jesus ministry. It if you don't get this one right, nothing else is going to be right. And this is the pivotal moment in his whole ministry. Until now, it seems to be plodding along at times so slowly. And he's even got what's called the messianic secret. Don't tell anybody what you just saw. It's not time yet. Mm -hmm. Even to his mom and John at the wedding of Cain, he says, do you want me to go public now, mom, and make water to wine? You know where this is going to head, right? Because it's heading to the cross. And Jesus is very much in control of the timing of this. But when they finally see who he is, look what it says in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. So so he says, okay, we just went from first gear in the progress, in the progress of Jesus' ministry to fifth gear. <laughs> yeah. He says, okay, let, all right, let's head to Jerusalem, because yeah. that piece is in place, and now there's an acceleration. If you did a one- sitting reading of Matthew, you'd see an acceleration in the pace of Jesus' ministry here. We'll take a
0: short break and come back with Dr. Eric Tanis. We'll continue our study in Matthew chapter 16. Get your Bibles out. Be right back.
1: Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the Afternoon Show with
0: Bill Arnold. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Dr. Eric Tanas. His last name is spelled just the way it's pronounced. I'll leave it at that. No. (laughs) T-H-O-E-N-N-E-S. T-H-O-E-N-N-E-S. Because a lot of people want to know exactly how to look you up and find out what else they can learn about you. So I just want to make sure I give people correct spelling and Eric is spelled E R I K and he is at Biola and he's also a pastor. He is the professor and chair of theology and pastor of a, a church. You're kind of a revolving teaching pastor. Is that right, Eric?
1: Yeah, we have a plurality of elders and I'm one of the elders and on the preaching team.
0: Nice, nice. Okay. When we last left off, um, we had a revelation. I don't know if Peter was acting as the spokesperson for the 12, but he pretty much boldly declared that Jesus is the Messiah. And he's saying that in in Caesarea Philippi, which was the center of uh, idol-worshiping pagans of all kinds. So Mm -hmm. significant moment, but was he speaking with information? Of course, the Bible says that Father gave him this information, but is he also speaking on behalf of the Twelve?
1: He certainly seemed to play that role yeah. pretty often. He he uh, seemed to be the spokesman. Some of it was personality, probably, just uh, took that role. But yeah, he once again is stepping up and speaking on behalf of everybody.
0: Yeah. So, Eric, after Peter makes this declaration, Jesus follows up with, And I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Okay, that's that's huge. I'd like you to talk about that.
1: Right, so Peter's confession of faith here that is God-enabled, now he contrasts his his human father, Jonah, here it, with his heavenly father, and says, yeah, you're, you're uh, the the child of, of Jonah, but you are also child of God who has revealed this to you from heaven. And so he then refers to Petros, this this word rock, and says, and on this rock with a little wordplay here, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so, um, you know, a Roman Catholic theology says, well, then this individual Peter becomes the basis of the church as really the first pope i think i think the the, the protestant view is the one i hold to which is you no know, it's that confession of faith it's not this individual and it's fascinating to see as wonderfully as jesus as peter hits a grand slam here just a few verses later jesus calls him satan because he's he's trying to downplay Jesus needing to go to the cross. And, and he just says, no, this can't be. He rebukes Jesus mm-hmm. for prophesying he's going to the cross. And he says, get behind me, Satan. You're tempting me the same way Satan tempted me at the Mount of Temptation to turn stones to bread and have a crown without a cross, and that's not what I'm about. It's the same temptation he's going to face at the end of his ministry in the garden, as he he can't bear to think of going to the cross and taking on the sins of the world. And he says, not my will, but thy will be done. So that represents the very kind of satanic temptation. Jesus has been no doubt battling his whole life and overcoming that temptation beautifully. But but here he gets it from a, a friend, a dear friend who just got it right a few verses before. So so this confession of faith that Jesus shows is, I believe, the, the basis for the church's existence and perseverance as well.
0: hmm Eric, when... When Jesus says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. What does the word church mean?
1: Yeah, so so it's the it's the gathered ones. It's the people who gather. In the Old Testament, the covenant people were the ones who would show up when the shofar blew as the people of God that were distinct from everybody else. And so the church are the assembled people of God— that represent him as his ambassadors on earth. And Jesus commissions the disciples to preach the gospel that ends up creating the church by the Spirit's power. And so he's saying that there's going to be a church from every tongue, tribe, and nation that includes Gentiles that Peter actually has a very hard time understanding for a while until Paul rebukes him for it and helps him understand it. But, but this is going to be this no longer just focused on the the nation of Israel but the whole earth is going to come in like the day of pentecost shows us.
0: Mhm. So when he's saying build my church this is the body of believers it's not a particular building or denomination it's it's the the body of Christ the community of believers.
1: Yes okay. and we've we've made a distinction typically between the universal church and the church local. And okay. And I think, I think it's important to say, well, the, the universal church are believers, true believers born again by repentance and faith in Christ and his saving work. and And that is true of people that only God knows we're all over the earth. But I also think it's important to emphasize the church local because we're called to gather and be meaningfully involved in a specific local church that has an address. And so I think, I think, Protestants, of which I am a part, can so emphasize the universal church that it's not located as the headquarters in Rome. Well, is it located at all then? And people can have a pretty loose idea of what it means to be the church if it's only the church universal. So the church universal needs to be the church actually gathered right with regularity as the church immediately started being when Jesus establishes it in the New Testament. Okay. Now, Eric, this is something I've been waiting for all day
0: because Uh. this is one of those passages that a lot of people have asked throughout uh, the years here that I've been here at Faith Radio, and it's starting in verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven.
1: Mm.
0: I will, uh, I'll hang up and listen. (laughs)
1: Well, the first thing I think we need to see is how he ends verse 18. And he says, I'll build the church. It's it's my church. I'm going to build it. I'll do it through you. And the gates of hell won't prevail against it. So here, the gates of hell, representative of the... Forces in the world that are in opposition to the things of God and His Christ, and this is offensive language. This is not defensive language. It's not like, um, it's not like the gates of hell won't come and get us. It's the gates of hell won't prevent us from ripping those gates out of their moorings and setting the captives free. So it's very. It's very assertive, like we're on offense here. We're not on defense when the the gates of hell won't prevail against us. So he's saying, look, I'm building something that's going to take hell over and and release the captives. And then in that same idea, he says, now I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound. And so what he's saying is really what he's saying when he gives the great commission uh, right before he ascends, he says, he says, "All authority on heaven and earth has it has been given to me." So go, therefore. So he's he's got all authority uh, finalized in the the resurrection, and he he confers that to us now. We go in the authority of God Himself in Jesus' name, and so there's this incredible empowering we have in gospel ministry to advance the kingdom of God and have the power over principalities and powers in high places that comes from the authority Jesus himself has and confers to his disciples. And so so we need to be aware that that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he'll destroy. And he comes to seek, kill, and destroy. But he doesn't have power over us. Luther was right when he says one little word shall fell him because we go in the authority of Christ himself. Now, Jesus hands those keys to Peter and he says, now take the lead, Peter, in in taking these keys. So, So Peter's the first one to take those keys out of his pocket and set those captives free like his preaching does at Pentecost or with the Samaritans in Acts 8 or with the Gentiles in Acts 10. So Peter is leading the way in using those that access that authority we have in the kingdom power and realities so he does lead the way here but he leads the rest of the apostles as well and all of us who follow in that apostolic ministry.
0: Eric do we understand these keys that Jesus is giving Peter and the others that the keys is the preaching of the gospel which will be opening the kingdom of heaven to all believers?
1: Right so I do think it's the authority to proclaim the gospel okay. in such a powerful way that that people are set free from bondage to sin and death. And and we go in that authority with the words of eternal life that Jesus gives us through himself. And so, yeah, Peter leads the way in, in preaching this, but, but we all have this kind of power by virtue of the fact that Jesus gives it to us when he gives us the Great Commission.
0: So how do we understand loosing something? How do we get... How do we understand that?
1: Yeah. So I, I think binding is the binding of the, the powers of hell, the powers of of principalities and powers in high places that that we are able to shut them up and keep them from having the kind of influence they otherwise would have. And the loosing comes from freeing people from that bondage. We we have access you know, keys both uh, lock and they open. And the authority we go to preach the gospel has that authority to to shut out powers of darkness and open up the light and the, the power and the saving work that God brings to our lives. So we are no longer slaves to sin. We're set free from bondage to decay. We have the ability to live victorious lives as Christians because Jesus shuts down the power of darkness and opens up the access to his power.
0: Mm-hmm. So I would imagine these disciples were pretty good at keeping secrets, because after Jesus reveals all of this, uh, you are correct about me being this, the the Christ, the Son of the living God. I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ.
1: Mm. Yeah yeah this this is a fascinating aspect of his ministry called you know people have called it the messianic secret there are books written on this this idea because it seems bizarre to us that he would ever tell anyone to do anything but proclaim his greatness from the rooftops right because that's our job now but i think it's important to realize that jesus is methodically controlling the tempo of his his journey to the cross here and he's not going to throw pearls before swine. He's not going to do what he talks about in the beginning of the passage, just give people signs to entertain them or give them what they want. He, he's he got a specific mission that he's fulfilling here. And he's heading to Jerusalem to lay down his life for the sins of the world. And nothing's going to get in the way of that or speed that up. And so so he wants to keep this under wraps. Once he accomplishes these things, now our charge is to preach with, with all our might, to a world that desperately needs to know this. There's no messianic secret anymore. Mm-hmm. What was hidden has now been revealed. So he gets a father, gets a message from the Father that he is
0: the Christ, the Son of the living God. But then it seems like when he's on his own and he's doing his own thinking, he's telling the Lord that, uh, that on the third day, when Jesus says, I'll be killed, on the third day I'll be raised from the dead, Peter's going. No, 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 no. That's not going to happen. That that's never going to happen
1: to you. Yeah, I one of my mentors and dear friends and godly brother, Mike Wilkins. He he taught uh, the gospels here at Talbot Seminary for for decades. An incredible man, Vietnam vet. Uh, his expertise was discipleship, and he he loved the disciples. He loved Jesus' apostles. And we tend to bash on these guys,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but but Mike would often say, don't mess with my boys. I love he, it. he loved these guys. And, <laughs> and if we're judgmental of Peter for this kind of thing, and Peter's life, man, his ups and downs are like an EKG. He... He would have and like it is here, he just says, You're the Christ, the Son of the Living God. Oh, Peter, you're on the money. Right. And then he's he's saying, get behind me, Satan, to him, just a few verses later. So he had big ups and downs, but there's a process in our growth, and, and there's some serious blind spots. And it's obvious that Jesus, like all of us, are coming to Jesus with our agenda, with our job description for him. Of what our expectations are. And they might even have some basis in biblical prophecy, but maybe the timing's wrong, or maybe they're misapplied, or we don't understand. Peter was a fighter, obviously, and he wanted. Rome to be taken out. He he didn't want this suffering and death. Even at the in the garden, he's cutting off Malchus's ear with a sword mm-hmm. because he just can't handle the suffering servant aspect of Jesus' ministry. Jesus will be the reigning son of man. But on the way, he's the suffering servant. And Peter had a tough time with that paradigm shift.
0: Yeah. All right, Eric, I'm going to take a little breather. It's only going to be 90 seconds, so don't go anywhere. But when I come okay. back, and if you're still here, I'm going to ask you about the paradox that follows about take up your cross and follow me. And Jesus says something, if you come after me, deny yourself, but whoever would save his life will lose it. There's a paradox there. We're going to ask you about that when we come back. Be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting myfaithradio.com. Matthew 16, that's where we are today, looking at the words of Jesus with Dr. Eric Thomas. I hope you've been enjoying this last hour. We're all the way to verse 24. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I love that paradox, and I love that mm. that command to if anyone would come after me let him deny himself
1: I don't see a lot of denying himself nowadays mm-hmm. yeah it it's been called the upside down kingdom that Jesus is constantly defying our intuitions expectations agendas desires and here he again he's shooting straight with the disciples he said he says look to be one of mine to be somebody who belongs to me and follows me it takes a, a what's called a cruciform life, a, a cross-shaped life that means self-denial. Actually, Peter was crucified upside down according to church history. So there have been Christians through the centuries who've literally been crucified as martyrs for following Jesus. But, but here he's talking about a daily denial of self. And we've got to recognize that self-denial is at the heart of a life of a disciple because i have a self-absorbed selfish sinful instinct that i need to put to death every day and so there's a daily dying that in some ways easier is easier than a one-time martyrdom because it 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 requires the kind of dying that doesn't exalt myself in a conversation or uh, serves others when I want to just care about myself or not trash somebody with my words when they've hurt me. And, and so these kinds of daily dyings in some ways are more challenging than a grand display of, of one a one-time death. And that's what Jesus calls us to as disciples, is denying ourselves and following the one who said, not my will, but thy will be done to the Father. Mm-hmm. I
0: memorized Mark eight thirty six a long time ago, but it also shows up here in Matthew sixteen. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world mm-hmm. and forfeits his soul? Boy, I tell you that that verse is in my brain all the time, especially when I'm hearing about you know uh, people who have all, have all this success and fame, and they they brag about how they're self made you know gajillionaires, and yeah. I think, boy, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet lose your soul?
1: Right. And history is full of people who had everything the world could offer and were deeply depressed or hopeless or suicidal or uh, empty. I I remember Tom Brady, it was quite a few years ago, I think he won his fourth or fifth Super Bowl and at that point had almost every record in the NFL. And I remember hearing an interview and he said, after this last Super Bowl, I kept asking, is that all there is? Is that all there is? That's why the book of Ecclesiastes is such an important book for our day because it it just talks about having everything the world offers. And if you don't have life besides under the sun, in other words, in a relationship with God, then it's vanity, vanity. It's empty. It it ends up being nothing. Yeah.
0: uh, Being a tennis lover as I am, and I know your family as well, too, I, Mm -hmm. I can only think of the Interview that Boris Becker did after winning his second Wimbledon title—not one, but two—at twenty years old. Somebody said wow. to him, "What do you consider to be your next biggest challenge?" His reply was, "Not killing myself." Oh my goodness! Can you imagine That's two, it. two Wimbledon That's titles it, at twenty, and you're already feeling desperate. Yeah. So, yeah. what, what does it profit yeah. a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul?
1: Yeah, that's a rhetorical question. I hope everybody realizes. Oh, yeah. It doesn't profit him anything, right? He gets nothing from it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, so, so good. So, um, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of the Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Take us through that one.
1: Right. So, those of us who believe in justification by faith uh, uh, alone can really come up short on this and say, well, what's that about? That sounds like works righteousness to me. Well, what he's saying is, is if you're not taking up your cross daily, if you don't understand that being one of mine includes self-denial and having Jesus as the one who's now calling the shots in your life, You're just a religious person or a moral person. And so we can't detach verse 27 from what Jesus was just saying, saying coming after him, being someone who is truly one of his and who then benefits from his saving work on our behalf. Well, that's the one who receives eternal rewards of salvation and rewards for what we do for his glory Done in the faith. You know, the Bible talks quite a bit about rewards yeah. and and punishments on the day of judgment based on what we've done and haven't done. Some things even Christians have done will add up to nothing but wood, hay and stubble on that day. And Mm -hmm. some will be worthy of, of jewels in our crown. So we can both be justified by faith alone and have Christ's righteousness as our only source of our standing before God. And at the same time have lives that really matter in the way we invest them. That's why we're commanded to store up our treasures in heaven uh, where moth and rust don't destroy and thieves don't break in and steal, and not on earth where all those things do happen. Because we can we can be Christians who mm-hmm. have righteousness before God and still live lives that aren't adding up to eternal meaning.
0: Mm-hmm. Dr. Eric Tanis is my guest, and we've been going through Matthew 16, which kind of brings us to the end of this. I, I've been so excited about your book. I'm looking forward to having it come out, 25 things that Christians should probably stop saying. We've got a couple <laughs> of minutes left. Would you be willing to tease us, tease us with one of them?
1: Sure. Um, let's see. What, what should I talk about this time? How about... Um, how about... Uh, to become a Christian, you need to ask Jesus into your heart. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the best way to talk about what happens or what we do when we're Christians. I th- Overwhelmingly, the Bible talks about repentance and... Faith, and I I get why people say "ask Jesus into your heart," but it seems vague and a bit spiritual to me. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but but I think it's a little clearer when we say a lot clearer when we say we turn from our sin and we trust Jesus. We believe in Him, repent, trust, believe, faith. Those are the big words the Bible uses for what we do. There's a kid in our church who's not a kid anymore, but he was going to have a heart transplant, and he was deeply concerned that this new heart wasn't going to have Jesus in it, and he was going to have to do the whole thing over again. And so, sweet. And, and so, so it can lead to that sort of sort of mystical understanding. I, I think getting back to repentance and faith rather than ask Jesus into your heart is probably a good idea.
0: Well, when I think of the heart being the decision-making center of who you are, you certainly want to be making a, a decision to give Jesus your allegiance and place your faith yes. and trust yeah. and hope in him. So I, I get it from that standpoint, but I also oh, make yeah. sure we don't want to produce a
1: lot of false converts. And, it, and if you gave that explanation, you just gave perfectly for what that phrase means, then I think we'd be good to go. But we usually don't do that. <laughs> yeah,
0: Sometimes it's left feeling a little
1: vague and, and, and
0: mystical, yeah. doesn't it?
1: Yeah. My goal is to get everybody who reads my book mad at least a couple of the chapters because they have a cherished phrase that they really like and i'm well, trying to dismantle it
0: yeah i'm really looking forward to having that that time with you to talk about your book when it comes available so thank you for giving me a little bit of Excellent. a tease really really of good course. to talk to you and thank you so much for this time with matthew 16 and spending time uh, with my audience so and me appreciate you eric you're welcome, Bill.
1: Appreciate you, brother. You're a good man.
0: Thank you. As are you. All right. Thank you so much. Dr. Eric Taunas has been my guest. And that is our show for the day. So thank you too to Scott Hubbard and Dr. Alex McFarland. Really has been a great show. If you missed any of it, you can head to the podcast. You know where that is. It's at myfaithradio.com. You can check out the episodes and you can listen at your own convenience. Have a great night, everyone. I look forward to spending time with you tomorrow. Guide Talk and Dr. Doug Bruthaus are my guests. See you soon. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.